All right, what, uh, what topic are we in at this point? Prayer. The Bible. The Bible. No, well, yes, we're talking about praying according to the Bible. Um, I'm going to read verse, or chapter, Psalm 80 in its entirety, if you want to turn there. Um, and I want to make a few observations before we start. Uh, last week, we, talk, we started talking about prayer. We actually got into the Lord's Prayer. We're talking about the content of prayer. What, what should our prayers consist of? Um, and I have a couple other thoughts about prayers today that I want to share. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't. So, hear, this, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, And it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it. And all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. The stalk of your right hand planted. That your right hand planted. And for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. They they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Psalm 80 is a good psalm of... um, Lament and petition kind of does both things. Uh, it, it laments the situation they're in. It calls to mind all the promises that God has made about them for them. And then it petitions God to make it true, right? That's kind of how our pattern, the pattern of prayer happens, and it should happen in our own lives, right? We see something, we say, God, I see this. But then you say, God, I know you to be this way. And so, Lord, make it be so, right? It's not a... It's not a a magical incantation. It's not a ritualistic prayer. It's just the pattern of how our lives should go because it demonstrates a couple things. Number one, it demonstrates who God is in light of who I am. It also demonstrates that I see something that's wrong and I need someone to fix it. Right? It needs someone else. I can't fix it. Right? And even says it in here, it says, you brought a vine out of Egypt and drove out the nations and planted it. Right? He, he places his need for what he sees, the, the thing out there that's broken, 
He says, I need this to be fixed by the guy who put me here. The one who has saved me. The one who has uh, brought me to this place. And he says, puts all of his eggs in the basket and says, Lord, let this be so. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And he says it three times in this, in this uh, uh, psalm. So I, I want you to notice that like, when we're talking about prayer, there's a whole bit different types of prayer, right? There are a whole bunch of different types. But all prayers kind of consist of the same kind of things, right? The content is there, right? We, if the prayer is just a grocery list, and I say, well, Lord, I need eggs, bacon, pancake mix, or flour for the pancake mix, like, and milk. And I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. But you never, it never stop for once to say who the provider of all those things are. Yes, you're implicitly kind of doing that. But you're not stating that for your own heart. You're not aligning, aligning yourself with God's will at all. You're just saying, you're acting like he's a Pez machine, a Pez dispenser, a Coke machine, whatever you want to call it, call it and saying, give me my milk. Milk comes out. Give me my eggs. Eggs come forth, right? So let's not be those people. He is not a vending machine. He is God, Lord of hosts, creator of heaven and earth, provider and sustainer for everyone and everything. Okay, so let's lean on him that way. Psalm 80 is a good, uh, a good pattern for that. And if you're reading your five psalms a day, this would be your last psalm for the day uh, today. Um, I challenge you to do that. Read five psalms a day, write them out on a card. I just kind of carry the card around with me and remind myself where I start uh, every week, or every day, rather, and pray, pray, pray um, over the psalms that you've been reading. Uh, let's talk about what we have talked about so far. What is prayer? Prayer is twofold, right? What are the two aspects and elements of prayer? Communication with the Lord and? That's communication. That's part of the communication, the sending and receiving process. What, what was the other part of it? Part of ask, what was the aspect of prayer? Okay, yes? Relationship. Aligning our wills with the Lord, right? The Lord's will. Aligning our will with God's will. So it's not just communication. It's not mere communication, but it's a heart posture. It's a, we're, we're setting our hearts on the things that the Lord has. And so we started talking about a whole bunch of ways uh, in which this happens, right? Specifically, like, in two, two different aspects. How do we learn prayer? And... What and what, what is prayer? So we kind of talked about those two things last week. Said that prayer is aligning ourselves with the Lord and His will and communicating with Him our needs, our petitions, based on who He is. He also said, How do we learn prayer? I've heard somebody say that learning, learning to pray is like learning a language. Um, and you might frown at that, but I want you to think about it for a second. Learning to pray is not something that is completely out of our hearts, right? It doesn't come just well up from us. Because what does come out of our hearts? Sin. <laughs> Nothing good. Uh, it, it comes a laundry list of things that we want accomplished, tasks to be completed, uh, Pez dispenser things, right? So we have to align our heart. We have to teach our hearts how to pray. 
And so that's foreign to us. And so like learning a language, which we start learning the vocabulary of the language and then the ability to take other words and take them for ourselves and turn them toward God and own them for ourselves. And then we be, be able to teach that how to pray. That's the last step. So we're, we're learning together a couple of things. Number one, the tools and the vocabulary of the Number two, number two, the tools of prayer, the vocabulary of prayer. And the vocabulary of prayer is set down for us where? In the Bible, particularly in two places, the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. The Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. Thank you, Jared. Um, and so we are talking about the Lord's Prayer right now. So if you want to turn to Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Does, anybody, does everybody have a, an ESV around them somewhere? It's going to have us read it all together, but I may just read it for us. And then it's uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. It says like this. It says this. Verse 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You notice it doesn't have the traditional ending for thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Um, that is in some some manuscripts, but not um, everything else. And if you look in your footnotes, it probably says right there exactly what I just said. Uh, or something along those lines. So we talked about last week uh, four, the first four lines: "Our Father in heaven." Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want to, I want to rehash a little bit. I want to ask you, um, first, why do we address God as Father? Okay, so he is. Why? How can we address God as Father? Capital F. Because we are adopted. Adopted. We're adopted children of the Lord Most High. It's that adoption, actually, that gives you the ability to speak to God. It, so the, granted, um, when we teach our children to pray, our Father in Heaven, what are we doing? What are we doing when we're teaching them to pray by saying, our Father in Heaven? Putting Him in the right context. Yep. Uh, what about, since they're not saved... Is there a problem that we teach him this way? No, I don't think so at all, right? Because he is the, regardless if you're saved or not, he is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, right? Regardless. Now, it takes on special meaning when he becomes our father in heaven, the one who has saved us through his son and by his spirit, right? But to teach our children, it's not a problem to teach them dependence on God as father, particularly as hey, I'm not that good of a father comparatively to your father in heaven. 
Your Father in heaven is a thousand times greater than I am. So when I fail you, know that the Lord does not fail you. And you can lean on him. You can trust in him. So our Father in heaven, we can say that because of our adoption um, and that he is our sovereign creator. Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed be your name? Holy. He's holy. Well, notice it says hallowed, not hallow your name, but hallowed. Does anybody know what part it's of speech that is? Correct, but it's a it's a type of English word. Where's Amy? It's to make ongoing. To make holy. Ah, to make holy. It is a participle. Thank you. It is a past tense participle that carries on into eternity, right? So, what? No, no, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about this part of speech. The part of speech of it means hallowed. It means he has been holy. He will remain holy. Forever and ever and ever. Alright? He is continuing past perfect um, tense. Um, or the perfect tense, if you have studied any other foreign language that is inflected. What does that mean? What does, why does that matter? It's because he is holy whether you recognize it or not. And he will continue to be holy whether anybody else recognizes it or not. But the prayer is so that we align our hearts to understand that he's holy. Hallowed be your name. Or your, your translation may say, holy is your name. Right? And a state of, a state, of, uh, state of being. So God's name, notice it's hallowed be your name. The name is who he is. It's synonymous with who he is. If you were, if you were to say, hey, Corey, Alexander hires, there's only one of them that I know of. Uh, he's standing in front of you. And the, the, if you were to say my name, then I would probably respond to you. In kind. If you say, Mr. Hires, I'm still looking for my father. So um, I'm 36 and I'm still looking for my father when you say, Mr. Hires. Um, so, but, but my name is synonymous with me, right? Uh, our father, when we say dad, we think of a certain person. We don't think of someone else's dad. We think of our dad. Uh, and so his name is identifying himself, like is identified with who he is, and his name is completely holy. Your kingdom come. Tell me, what does your kingdom come refer to? What does your kingdom come refer to? Lord comes in. Maranatha, no, not quite. I think there's an aspect of it. But it's not saying in the world we come, we come. What is it? What is it saying? To both and this kingdom already has come through Christ, and the and the, the fulfillment of that kingdom is coming as well. Hmm. So Who says? But it's a submission of our will to ah. His. Ah. He may you reign in me because He is holy. Because He is holy. Because His name is completely holy. There is no one else fit to run this world. And there's no other kingdom that is greater than his, right? Because he is holy. And nothing else is without him. Right? And so we want his kingdom to come. It's a holy kingdom. One that uh, will be finally consummated when Christ returns in his second coming. But Jesus, what was Jesus proclaiming when he came on the scene? The kingdom of God is at hand. What, what exactly 
does that mean? Well, he later says, if the kingdom of God has come upon you, then I cast out these demons by the power of God, not by my own power. Well, interesting. So he's, he's proclaiming that he is the kingdom. His physical presence on earth is the kingdom inaugurated. Right? Inaugurated as it come. It has come. It hasn't come in fullness, but it is coming. Right? Though Jesus did tell Pilate that if my kingdom was my kingdom was of this world. My servants would fight. That's the difference. Kingdom was not of this world. It was of heaven. And if it was totally here in fullness, then his servants would fight. Yes. Um, which is an interesting way of like aligning our hearts with the one whose kingdom is not fully realized here. Notice, are we in a complete theocracy ruled by Jesus Christ in person right now? Is he on a throne outside where everybody can go to him and ask, Lord, I need judgment? No, <laughs> he's not here in physical kingdom, right? He's not here in physical presence. He is here in, in, in his spiritual nature, in his spirit, who he is, right, as an omnipresent being. But he is, his kingdom has not fully been realized and consummated. Okay, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, this is an extension, but what does it mean? Go ahead. I think I, both phrases. Yes. I was just listening to on the way over here to a message on John, about John, Genesis three, on the fall, and basically this prayer is saying that was wrong. They were setting up their own kingdom. That was wrong. This world is not for their their rule. It's for their you know. And I want to submit to you, to your will, instead of saying, "Thou shalt not surely die." Yeah. Yeah. Not taking up what is what is rightfully the Lord's. Right. Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is in His holy will. His perfect will that <laughs> rules all kingdoms. Psalm two. Um, the one who is, yes, put all his foot, enemies under his footstool, Psalm 110. No, I am not a post-mill guy. But those two things are relevant to every Christian that he is reigning over. What? No. <laughs> Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? What does that mean for our prayer life? What does it mean for the content of your prayers? I think it's also, that's again, recognizing what is already happen, happening, just like we're hallowed be your name, it's not saying make your name holy. It's your name is holy. This is similar to that, in my opinion, by saying your will be done on earth as this coming, because his will is being done. His will is being done on earth. So why would we need to be given this vocabulary? To that remind ourselves that he is the author and perfection of not only our faith, but of life. To realign, right? To realign our wills onto his, to, to pattern our hearts onto his. It's also a commitment, a line of commitment. Uh, your will be done on earth. You sit here in my own heart as it is in heaven. Not just out there, fix all those things, but right here, starting right here. It's not, it's not a call for us to ask for heavenly perfection. No. On earth, like this. 
would be nice, but no. Or health, wealth, prosperity, and nothing like that. That's not what this is getting at. No, no, no more chess. Not a single one. Yes. All right, and so um, I want to. I'm gonna. I want to now move into what we haven't covered so far. But notice how the opening petitions of the Lord's Prayer center all on God. Right? They focus on his name, his kingdom, his will. And when we pray in this manner, we are also asking that we ourselves will make God's name holy. Hallow to realize the holiness of God's name. To submit to his rule, to his heavenly kingdom. And then to do what he's commanding to do his will. It is impossible to pray these petitions in sincerity without humbly committing ourselves to glorify God and obey him. Okay, or you can read it like this, to glorify God by obeying him. Right? Not, not, in, a, not in a moralistic deism type of way. I'm talking about in a, in a real, I love the Lord because of what he has done for me, saved me from my sins, and so I want to be patterned after him and him alone. I want to do his will and no one else's. And then we move into much more debated topics. Give this day, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What is give us this day our daily bread referring to? What? The manna? It should make you think of manna. Sustaining. Sustaining power? Yeah? Sustainance? Jesus is the bread of life. All these like little things that are sprinkled like breadcrumbs <laughs> in the Bible about bread? Think about it. Think about manna from heaven. Manna literally means manna. means this thing or nothing or what is this? Is another way of explaining that. Uh, but it was enough to sustain them for the day. Right? What happened if they kept it for longer than a day? It rotted. It rotted. Unless it was a Friday. Unless it was a Friday and he made it providentially sustained. Right? But manna itself is to provide only enough for that day. And then he got more. Right? And what happened? Well, what happened? Just like our hearts. We're not satisfied with anything. And so we say... We, we say, oh, Lord, that manna wasn't enough. Give me some quail. And what does he do? He gives quail. And what happens right after the quail? Plagues. Plagues. Snakes. A whole bunch of other nonsense, right? Because he's got, he's got to discipline his people into an understanding of what does it mean to live on the daily sustaining hand of God and not what you think you need. Right? Does that mean that it's outside of your realm of responsibility to provide for your families? No. Uh, it means that you should rely on God as you go through your day, as you start your day, as you go and try to provide for your family, relying on the Lord for every aspect of your life. Now, does it mean that our does it mean that we should uh, Contend or should not contend for a promotion at work? No. Does it mean that I should be content wherever I am, though? Yes. Okay, so now talk to me. What is give this 
give us this day our daily bread look like in your lives? What is actually needed? What is needed? For the day. And so what do you need for the day? So. Well, I'm thinking the statement's broad enough to include a lot of different things within that general short statement. Right. It, it's, vague, it's ambiguous enough to include manna from heaven and Jesus is the bread of life, mm -hmm. as well as to understand it in the context of your, your bacon and milk and eggs kind of list. <laughs> yep, it can, can mean those things. But do you need bacon, eggs, and milk to live and sustain? So I think, I think this is more about where is this pointed? Where is your heart posture rather than your grocery list, right? Who are you depending on? This is a statement of granting dependence. This petition reminds us that our constant daily dependence is on God alone. The significance of this petition is completely lost on us, mostly because we are, live in such an affluent society. One of the richest, if not the richest, societies in the world at any time, at any place in history. You Think about it. Uh, you drive a vehicle, every one of you, except for those who cannot drive yet. You drive a vehicle. How much does it cost to shape a vehicle's frame so that it might be able to sustain the, the ton and a half or the ton or less that it's going to maintain across the road. Do you know? A heck of a lot of money. <clears throat> How much engineering went into that? More than you can think about. Right? Um, and how many people own their own vehicle in the middle of Sub-Saharan Africa? If they do, it's because they're rich. They would be in the upper end of society. I heard Bodhi Bakum talking about um, living where he's in, living in Zambia. And he said, I still live, every time I come home, I'm so grateful for working streetlights. Because none of them work in Zambia where he's at. They have them, they just don't work. And so think about how affluent our society is. This is why give us this day our daily bread is probably our greatest need. It's our greatest prayer because we can do so many things without depending on the Lord. We can do pretty much anything we want to all day, every day, for the rest of our lives without the Lord, at least not readily acknowledging it. And so because none of us are probably, not many of us are probably going to starve, right? Not many of us are going to miss out on something, right? Because we have so much that has been given to us. But we must learn daily dependence on the Lord. The Lord's Prayer is designed so that we understand that dependence and the level of that dependence, no matter where it is in our lives. What's up? That's the deceitfulness of riches. That's, yes. When the Lord's, when the Lord had, the rich man, rich man ruler comes to the Lord and says, how would my side you, right? To follow you. He says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he walks away sad, right? Because his hope was in not the Lord, nor his glory, but in the riches that he had. So it shows us that um, it should call to mind so many Bible stories. There's not, there's even one that I'm thinking about with Elijah. Um, Think about what happened with the widow and the widow's son. Okay, somebody know the story? I'm gonna go take 
flour and oil that I have and bake my last cake so my son and I can die. Right. And what happens? It never runs dry. It never runs dry. As long as she makes it for him first. Yeah, yes. As long as she does it in submission to the prophet of the Lord. So, in a lot of ways, we're submitting our lives to the prophet of God. Who? Jesus. The great prophet, priest, and king. And so we, everything that we have is from him. All blessings come from him, and we need to acknowledge him as our perfect gift giver. There is no other option. And so um, to ignore this petition is to uh, basically say, I got my, I got this, Lord. I can do it myself. What happened to Eve when that happened? You don't have to answer. Give us our debt, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Somebody have a different translator translation than that? Give us, forgive us our debts. We also forgive our debtors. Trespasses. Trespasses. Forgiving you sin against us. Sin. Yes, these are all good words. So forgive us our debts, as we have also have forgiven our debtors. This is like a because or do this because I did this kind of thought. So it's like an if-then statement. So it's not quite an if-then statement. What am I trying to look for? Statements of consequence, but uh, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. What is a debt? Cause of debt. What? Something we owe. Um, what is what is a sin? What sin? Something we've done wrong by what standard? By God's standard, and it's an offense according against His being. It's not just something I did merely wrong. But it's a, an infinite, I've incurred an infinite debt, right? And so I need forgiveness for that debt. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Think of, um, some, think of some parables. Tell me what this parable sounds, or what, tell me what this statement sounds like. Which parable does it sound like? Which one? There's the one where the king forgives the debt of oh. the servant, but then the servant turns around, turns around and throws another guy who owes money to him Less. in jail because. And who is he directing that parable at? Pharisees. And so, that, what were they doing? They were judging their brother, right? They were standing and lording over them, right? And, and over uh, judgment on them. And they were not acknowledging what they had. They weren't acting out of, I should say, acting out of what God had already done. Right? God, if, if they were truly going and being forgiven for their sins by and offering sacrifices at the temple, understanding what all this thing meant, if you read Leviticus, it's not about just doing the thing. It's about acknowledging God as holy, as, as the one who is Savior. And yet, they missed all of it. Right? And so... We ask the Lord, based on our position with him as he is our father, to forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here, sin is referred to as a debt. This, this is a petition of confession okay, of our sins to God and seeking forgiveness from him. Now, when I say confession, what immediately comes to your mind? Catholics. Yes, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, right? Uh, has anybody been a Catholic? You were a good Catholic. Um, when you went and you went to uh, confession, 
What exactly was the priest doing? He was just literally waiting. He was sitting there, right? But, but in general, like, they believe that that's absolution, right? They're granting absolution for you as if they have that power. Yeah, you were told to have some form of penance, like... Yep. Do this. Yeah. yeah. And so, in a lot of ways, it's like their version of counseling. <laughs> you murdered your brother, go to the authorities. <laughs> uh, turn yourself in. That kind of stuff. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a position of mediation. Uh, it, like, they need another Jesus. They need someone else to stand between you and Jesus so that this transaction gets worked out. But what, how, does the, how does the prayer start? Our Father. That's an intimate name. We don't have to say Abba. It's to say Father, right? Father is an intimate name, period. Uh, nobody calls me father except for my kids, and they call me dad. <laughs> so I'm sure one day they will refer to me as a father, as my as a father. But I'm still dad, right? Um, this, when we pray this way, we are acknowledging God's holiness and ability to forgive sins, and it is also to recognize that God is gracious and merciful, and that He will forgive my sins when I go to Him. Because God has loved us in Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? So we need to uh, lean into the Father's forgiveness. If we do not, what is the consequence? You won't be able to forgive others. Right? You'll stand in judgment. But what, what else? What, what's what's going to happen into your heart? It's going to get hardened, right? It's going to get hardened toward a whole bunch of people. Why is that? It's, it's essentially glorifying, saying, I'm the one that's important here, and none of you are. Right? And so, because God has loved us in Christ, we can go to him. So does this petition teach that God forgives us because we have forgiven others? No, it actually grants you the ability to forgive others, right? Because. Yeah, because we have been forgiven much, God ought also, by God, we all ought also to forgive others. John Stott says it this way. He says, Open, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the infinite debt of sin that we have incurred, um, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own offense, right? There's a book by Ed Welch called When, when People Are Big and God Is Small. I think it's the actual name of it. I don't, I'm now I'm missing it. It's on my desk. I meant to bring it in. But uh, you want, the whole idea is we got to flip that on its head. God is the one that matters. And your actions will say, one way or the other, that you believe that or you believe that you matter more than what God's will and his glory, his holiness matters. But this petition is not just solely between you and God, right? This petition expresses our love for others. It introduces the aspect of, our, of other relationships into our prayer. It reminds us that believing the gospel has profound and far-reaching implications for how we ought to love one another in Christ. 
And it is impossible to be self-centered and pray this way, the Lord's Prayer. Right? It's impossible to be self-centered and say, forgive us, forgive me my debt, as I have also seek to forgive others. Right? He's not, it's impossible to be self-centered in this. Right? It has to be exterior. It is possible to recite it. Oh, 100%. Mindlessly. Yes, and that's why it's not ritual, right? Because I think we all get this, we hear this. Uh, some, did anybody grow up Presbyterian? Anybody? So in Presbyterian, in conservative Presbyterian churches, they will recite the Lord's Prayer before communion every day, every time. And the reason why is because they're doing a couple things. They're confessing that the Lord is God and we're not, right? All the things that we've been discussing. But it is also training their hearts and minds to know that their forgiveness is grounded in one thing and one thing only, Jesus' sacrifice. And that that sacrifice has implications beyond this moment, right? Beyond you. And that it pushes them on the outside. So that idea of saying the Lord's Prayer as a corporate body, notice it's not put in I and me language. It's corporate by nature. Our Father who is in heaven. The only person that's ever referred to in the and the personal pronoun nature is you and your God, God alone. This one says, forgive us our debts as we, we also have forgiven our debtors. This is corporate confession. It's not just merely you, but it's the whole body of Christ together. And so the Presbyterians would take this. And here's, the, here's, here's where you get kind of like on the borderline of what, what Rex was talking about. It can become mere rest, recess, like, I was going to say resuscitation, but it's not what I mean. Rec- like reciting, right? It's recitation. Recitation, thank you. Um, like six people said it to me, I apologize. Thinking and speaking at the same time is not always good for some people. Um, so uh, it can be mere just recounting the words, right? Spitting out memorized things. But here's the thing. is It's not so that you might be able to gain anything. And if it becomes ritualistic for you, it's because you are trying to do this thing so you get this thing, get another thing, right? You're trying to get something from God. It becomes uh, a ritual in order to get God to give you something else. This is not what this is. This is completely the other way around. It is stating who God is. His kingdom is important. His will is important. Nothing else is important. Nothing else that I need is more important than what God has for me. Right now. Nothing is, is more important than what we need as a church, except for God has for us as a church. Anything outside of that is completely superfluous. It might be nice. If for, for instance, the AC is nice, right? I pray that it works every time I walk in here and I'm not worried about 90 degree heat inside. Thank God. But could we have service without AC? 100%. Could we gather and worship our God in spirit and truth without AC? Yes. And so this idea of training our hearts cannot be mere recitation. I'll get it. I'll get it. (laughs) Cannot be mere recitation. I'm never going to say it again. Done. D. 
D.A. Carson says it this way. He says, there is no doubt a place for praying as an individual of God, but the general pattern of our praying must be broader than ourselves. Therefore, when I, as one follower of Christ among many, address our Father, my concern is to embrace our daily bread, right? Notice, our daily bread. Our sins and our temptations, and not just mine alone. It is outward. It's not merely inward. And then he says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, what does this, what, oh, I'm just going to ask a question. Does this petition mean that God tempts us to sin? Where does sin come from? Unbelief. Comes from belief, but it's root. Where's the root of sin? Not Satan. It's your heart. What does Jeremiah say about your heart? Wicked. What does God? What does Jesus say repeatedly about the heart? What? It's deceitful. But and he says either make well, like when he's refuting the. Pharisees, and they're saying, he's from Beelzebub. What does he say? He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or the tree evil and its fruit evil, but don't make some. Don't lie to yourself. Um, your heart is what tempts you to sin. James says it in a very particular way. He says, what uh, in James 4, if you want to turn there with me really quickly. James 4, Got to turn there because I don't want to mess it up. James 4. It's right after Hebrews. James. James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is talking about our very hearts. That we may not be deceived by what we think we need, but we would be filled by what God has for us. We not be deceived by being tempted. Lord, it would be nice for me to have AC. And so, because I don't have AC, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied, I can't do what you're asking me to do. That's a pretty a real thing here in Florida, especially right now. But, it does not mean that your heart, do not let your heart be tempted by the lack of that physical need, right? That physical want. Lead us not into temptation, says that... God does not tempt us to sin. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he tempts no one with sin. But the key is to understand that not negates into temptation. In other words, the prayer means lead us not into temptation, but away from it, toward righteousness. Lead us into situations where far from being tempted, we will be protected and they're kept righteous. That way we will be delivered from the evil one. So notice your, uh, the one in uh, the ESV says, deliver us from evil. And some say evil one. Uh, the King James, I believe, says evil one. And while this can be evil one, 
from evil itself is what we were asking from deliverance from. Evil that comes from inside and without. From inside and outside. This petition reminds us that we need to depend on him not only for our physical needs, but for our moral and spiritual needs also. What's up? Kind of reminds me of like, God being a good shepherd, right? Yeah. He's leading us into good pastures and keeping us safe. He's not, the, the sheep is the one that's wandering into danger, and he's the one that's trying to bring us back. It's not, it's not the shepherd who's like leading them astray and just themselves. Yeah. And he is the one that's like wandering back to this pack. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Right? That's. That's a statement of exactly what we're talking about. He's not tempting them by leading them in paths that look evil and bad. He's bringing them through those paths by giving them a way out. What's up? Jeremiah 18 really, I think, puts a a good note on this Mm. where God says to the people, uh, return everyone from his evil way and mend your ways and your deeds. But they say they were the responsive people in this. That is useless or vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Yeah, and to, to just add to that, Jeremiah just heaps upon, you know, next thing about next thing. But he says, uh, my people committed two evils, right? Yeah. And, and those, they've forsaken the fountain of living water, and they've hewn out their own cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. It's pretty tragic when you see somebody literally try to make their own way. They do the same thing over and over and over, only to find the same broken, lost consequences from it. Um, and the only way for them to get out of that is for the fountains of living water to actually invade their lives. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, as we wrap up, is a model prayer for us for so many reasons. We've only discussed a few of them. We're not to blindly mouth its words, otherwise we'd be uh, guilty of ritual. But we are, used, we are to use it as a framework model for our own prayers. Paul's prayers are exactly like the Lord's Prayer, if you reread them and then try to map them on. And they're great examples for such God-centered and Christ-honoring prayers that reflect the Lord's Prayer. His prayers reflect all the priorities of the Lord's Prayer. God's holiness, God's uh, providence, God's blessing, God's God alone. And so next week, we're going to talk about Paul's prayers and how we can pray them together. Okay? But... Um, Until then, I want to challenge you uh, with praying the Lord's Prayer this week, at least when you wake up. Try to pray the Lord's Prayer at least a couple times a day. Um, Maybe even like as a family, sit down and try to recite it before meals or recite it after meals so that you understand and you can direct each other's hearts toward the one who provides all things, who is holy above all others whose kingdom is better than everybody else's. And he is the one who sets up and tears down, including your own family. Right? It teaches, it's going to teach, designed to teach dependence upon the one who has given you all things. So, I want to challenge you, once a day, 
the Lord's Prayer. Um, if that's before your Bible reading, that's after your Bible reading, whatever it looks like. Um, don't do it as a rest, resuscitation, but as a mental exercise, a spiritual exercise to align your hearts to God and God alone. Okay? With that, we're going to pray, and then we are going to be done. So would you pray with me?